Coming to you from the heart of the Pacific Northwest, with mouths as big as the Columbia River, egos as tall as Mount Rainier, smooth as the drive from Vancouver, B.C. to Portland, Oregon, it's the Northwest Convergence Zone. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Northwest Convergence Zone Show. Good to have everybody here. It's a brand new week, man. We're getting really close to spring. It's about time to pull out the golf clubs, and I'm ready for some baseball. Yeah. <laughs> big yeah, D. Yeah, Big D here with you, and of course, uh, partner in crime, Big Joe. Yeah. Hello, everybody. As always, greetings and post-Olympic salutations Yay. from the home of Northwest Roots Rock and Roll. Yes. Tacoma, Washington, here in the man cave. All right. And Double D, how you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Enjoyed you were all, all over the Winter Olympics, weren't you? When were they on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about this. <laughs> and, of course, we can't forget Squeeze and Wonder Boy back there doing all the uh, the technology uh, aspect of our program, and we couldn't do it without them. We certainly appreciate that. But, yeah, post-Winter Olympics, man, uh, Vancouver hosted a pretty good – I mean, it kind of started out rough up there yeah the weather wasn't cooperating you the, know the, some tragedy yeah the tragedy and then they had some problems some technical problems with that zamboni thing <laughs> that's right and uh, uh they ran out of beer a couple times <laughs> <laughs> but man talk about ending on a high note for the home country you know we just got through watching the u.s canada hockey game and that was a tough one to watch it was a it real was. nail biter it was but i think those guys up there and we love all our canadian brothers and sisters and cousins and every, but man, they must be just a collective sigh of relief. That was more of a victory of, whew, oh man, yeah. we made it. We gave them all that they could handle for sure. Yeah, well, taking it, was, it into overtime. Yeah, it was like the it was basically the NHL All Stars versus the NHL second stringers. That's right. So all you uh, all our Canadian friends, you uh, be happy with those gold medals, and we'll just have to uh, take continuing to be the world's only superpower. <laughs> yeah, and and don't get too cocky because we might come up and make you. Our fifty uh, first date. <laughs> so, anyway, but no good times. The Olympics. It was fun. I'm I'm done with them though. I, I, they seemed long this year. It just seemed like they, they kept were going and going and going. And I, I'm ready to be done. They with were them, a but. fortnight. Yeah. So, <laughs> Double D, do you know what a fortnight is? I have no idea. That's not an evening you spend with your kids out in the tree. Uh, that's what I would have guessed. That's, so that's some Shakespearean time uh, uh, measurement. Yeah, okay. So, what does it mean? It's like it's four two score. weeks. Yes. Two, two weeks, weeks two is weeks. a fortnight. So, anywho. Uh, hey, and last, if I'm wrong, tell me. Last I, week we I had no idea. We had some great guests on. We had Alicia Wood and Vicky Martinez, and uh, that was a great show. We really enjoyed having those guys on. And we got some big guests coming up in the future. Next week, we gotta we gotta say our calendar on our website is tentative guests. Sometimes things happen, and one of them is with Chip Hanauer. Chip was supposed to be here this week. He realized that he had double booked or something, and he sends his apologies. But he's going to come next week, and we're also going to have Dudley Taft in here, who's extremely extraordinary blues player and that's going to be a lot of fun and then all through the month we have uh, lots of great bands personalities charlie land from uh, right here in town what a he's a crack up man he's a great guy and teapartycharlie.com is his uh, website so go and go and get hip to charlie and then hear him on our show because it's going to be out of control when he when he comes in here but uh, we're going to do things a little different today. Let's go right into some birthdays because we got some big guests this week, and we're going to start with birthdays.
birthdays. Now, with birthdays of the living, here's a Northwest Convergence Zone's own Prince of the Pinata, Big D. All right, so birthdays of the living. Of course, if you see these guys walking around, guys or gals walking around, pat them on the back, man. One of them, one of my favorite guitar players of all time. But let's start off with the other guy who just rocked everybody's world, still doing it, was in the Super Bowl, in fact. Roger Daltrey. The man behind Blue Eyes. He's going to be 65. He was born on the 1st in 1944. And, of course, this next guy was in the Super Bowl, was it last year or two years ago? Uh, Mr. Bon Jovi himself. Yeah, yeah, I think they were in it. Yeah, I mean, they did. it was like after the Super Bowl. They did a little concert on the side or whatever. But he's he's going to be 47. Yeah, 47. Born on the 2nd in 1962. I just watched the great routine with him in Triumph. The insult comic dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice to know that Mr. Bon Jovi is older than me. Yeah, yeah. There's some comfort in that. I don't know. And then uh, this shocks me because uh, David Gilmore, man, he is born. He was born in 1946, and that guy's been around a long time. Lead guitar player for the greatest band, in my opinion, of all time. I know you beg to differ with that big They're girl, up but, there. They're but the uh, David Gilmore, man, what a stud, what a great guitar player. Had the privilege of seeing Pink Floyd. I also, I also saw David Gilmore do a solo show one time in L.A., just a stellar musician, and if I saw him, I'd buy him a beer. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, and of course uh-huh. you know that Bon Jovi means good Jovi. Is that what that means? <laughs> I thought it was like goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good juju. All right, well, let's go over to the other side. Now, with birthdays from beyond, here's a Northwest Convergence Zone's answer to Art Bell, Big Joe. Yes, we always have to go to the other side. And this is kind of a uh, technical, mechanical uh, other side. I, I brought these <laughs> in for Double D. Because yeah. I'm sure that every single one of these guys, he will know. Because sometimes no, we, forget, we forget Double D over there sometimes. That's right. We want some we, input we gotta from him. we got to give Double some D feedback. some love. Yeah, 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 right. When is that ever going to happen? I've, it's I've been right here now. Long, That's right. right now. Yeah, you guys all listen to this and see if there really is love or if this is actually just a setup. No, no, this is a setup. No, no. We're pitching. We're lobbing the softball yeah, studio today. On, swing hard. You, swing yeah, hard. You're going to hit these out of the park. All right. Well, February 28th. Uh, 1907, uh, if you ever had a beater car and you thought, hey, the only thing that would make this car better is a $99 paint job, you probably heard of this guy. His name was Earl Scheib. Yay! And Earl would be 103 if he wouldn't have been sucking down all them paint fumes for all those years. <laughs> but he would paint any car, and that was that usually meant that. The whole car. Everything. <laughs> they didn't Windows and everything. I, I know all about Earl Scheib. Bumper. Bumper. Everything. Tires. <laughs> That's right. It's hey, you said you wanted a paint job, and it was always it was always a joke when you saw a car with a bad paint job. You're like, well, that's a neural side car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I think the only thing they'd be good at painting is you know D-derby cars, demolition derby that's cars. Right. That'd yeah. be great because yeah. that's all you want. Yeah, yeah, Just that's kind of what it looked like. It was a demolition derby paint <laughs> job. Yeah, you're right. Paint right over the dents. Put a uh, put a crude number three on the door, and you're set to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, next up, if you uh, come to the uh, the the Big Joe household and look at my 
extensive library. You will notice that uh, it consists mainly of all the books written by this great man. He was born on March 2nd, 1904. (laughs) That would be Dr. Seuss. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have read most of his books. That's right. Because they have big pictures. You have the same library? (laughs) I I don't have the library anymore because I gave it to Wonder Boy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wonder Boy has my library of Dr. Seuss. Yeah. (laughs) Great books. Hop on Pop and Green Eggs and Ham. Yeah. Yeah, Don't get bogged down with heavy reading. Oh, man. That's that's some good reading. I, that's a, yeah. that's an intense evening of cracking of open a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, the timeless classic, <laughs> The Cat in the Hat. Well, he would be 105 years old, and so happy birthday to the good doctor. We miss him. Yes, we do. I uh, haven't read a good Theodore book. Theodore, I haven't read a good book for a long time. Yeah, Theodore Geisel. Yeah, that was his real name since since he passed away. And last but not least, on March 3rd, 1847, not too long ago, this is the guy that causes you to walk around really with your cell phone constantly. Oh. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Do we thank him or do we curse him? Because actually it started off with him saying that when he first invented this object. <laughs> and that's like the first thing he said to the guy. Can you hear me now? Yes. And it's been going on ever since. And that would be Alexander Graham Bell. Thank would you. Would be 162 years old. Yeah, but didn't, I just read a blog about, didn't the Canadians invent the telephone? That's what they claim. They're <laughs> claiming now that they invented yeah, the Yeah, well, so do the Italians. They say, uh, I think it was Marconi or somebody invented it as well. Well, that's why the Canadians, when you go up there and your cell phone starts roaming, then it costs you like $100 a minute. <laughs> they're trying to get, they're trying to catch up for lost revenue. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're sticking it to us. All right. So well, that's uh, everyone from beyond this week. And if you see them, well, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to quit buying drinks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's, you know, we got a we got a big guest this week. Let's go right into it. All right, everybody, uh, buckle up because this is going to be a, a fascinating interview. We are absolutely pleased and feel humbled, actually, to have uh, the bass player of the Fabulous Whalers in the studio with us, Buck Ornsby. He has been around playing music for a long time, made us all proud in Tacoma. In fact, when I was growing up and spent some time in Tacoma, I remember I would tell some of my friends, you know, oh, yeah, I live in Tacoma. And I would always get the, uh, what's in Tacoma? Oh, the, the Roma Tacoma stuff. And all I had to do was mention two names, Ventures and the Fabulous Whalers, and it would shut them right up. Buck, it's great to have you in. All Thank right. you for coming in, sir. Good to be here. All, all right. right. It's a it, it's an absolute honor, and what I'd like to do is maybe start back, uh, take us back to the beginning, and tell us a little bit about the scene that was going on in Tacoma when you were going to Stadium High School and you met up with some of your fellows that eventually became the Fabulous Whalers, and, and, and what was going on during that time, and what prompted you guys to get together? Well, actually, it started before that. It started with... Uh uh, a group, uh, a friend I met named uh, Bill Engelhart, and uh, we started, uh, uh, well, uh, actually, even before that, I was uh, always interested in what was playing on the radio at that time, and uh, when I started hearing things like Fats Domino and some of the early R&B stuff, uh, I started to get real interested in music, and also, and I was also taking guitar lessons at the time, and uh, I was going to this conservatory, and it was in junior high school, and uh, I'd be banging on a piano that I had at my house, and our parents were always into music. We always had music in the house. So when I was going to junior high school, I remember meeting this or seeing this fellow who uh, I heard that played guitar, and uh, uh, he was uh, uh, he he always walked around with his he had uh, polio, and uh, he had a 
couple of sticks, you know, when you walk around. He had the braces on his legs and everything. But he always had these guys that were kind of his uh, his henchmen hanging around with him for protection. <laughs> and uh, they were cool. They were twins. And I remember this, you know, they're real tough guys, you know. And then there was little Bill. And we eventually, I mean, we called him little Bill. But anyway, uh, we met in junior high school. And the way we met, I always knew that he was, somebody told me he was a guitar player, and uh, I went to um, this movie one night called Blackboard Jungle. Yes. And uh, they happened to go in the same night, you know, usually Friday or Saturday nights, and Bill and his two guy, friends, you know, were with him, and and there was another friend with him, uh, 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 God, what was his name, uh, sax player, Jeez. Uh, can't think of it right now, but I will in a minute. Uh, and uh, he was with uh, his sax player, and I was with a friend of mine, uh, Lassie Ains, and he we bought him a little trap set, so we'd practice in my bedroom, and I'd play my guitar, and he'd play his little trap set. It cost 50 bucks, I think. <laughs> and that was about 1955, 50, yeah, 55, and... Uh, I think that's when that movie came out, too, because the reason we went was because it was kind of like reminded us of school at the time, you know, and we read articles about it. So we went to the and then uh, the beginning song in that that opened up that movie was uh, uh, um, what was it? Rock Around, Rock the, around Clock. the Clock. Yeah, yeah. Bill Haley yeah. and the Comets. And so we uh, uh, after that movie was over, we walked out into the lobby and uh, I saw and they were standing across the lobby and I was standing on one side of the lobby and oh, Frank Dutra is the sax player's name and uh, he Frank was with Bill and I was with Lassie and uh, I just went over to Bill and I said, uh, hey, I hear you play guitar. Uh, maybe we can get together sometime and see what happens. And they came over to my house one day and and uh, uh, we just kind of jammed a little bit. Uh, I didn't play bass yet. Actually, what I was playing was steel guitar. And I tuned the bottom four strings to, for a bass. Mm-hmm. And because uh, uh, I liked bass, but I mean, there wasn't any electric basses and uh, I didn't play upright. So I just <laughs> played it on my, I tuned my strings down and played bass. Right. And uh, uh, so anyway, we jammed a little bit and we decided, well, let's, let's see if we can uh, maybe uh, get together some more and, you know, play in a band. So we used to practice in Bill's garage. We'd go over to his garage and. That's how Little Bill and the Blue Notes came together, and that was about 1955-56. So we had that band for about three or four years, and uh, and um, we were the only rock band, or R&B band, rock band, you know, in the, at the time here. There was no other rock and roll bands here. In the, here in Tacoma? No, here in Tacoma. And no. did you, so did you have a pretty good following? A lot of people were digging, Well, we started to, to do our little old dances, but, you know, there was no places to play either. So, mm-hmm. uh, so where would you play? Well, we'd rent a little hall, hold about 50 people, and we'd put up our posters. I used to go out in a bus, and I'd, you know, uh, they used to have those machines, you know, that you copy. Uh, the the mimeographs. Mimeograph. <laughs> right. We'd right. make little posters, and I'd go around to the, you know, the little restaurant. Kind of like we do now. <laughs> yeah. And I'd go around to the restaurant. I'd take a bus. I'd go up at Lincoln High School. I'd go over and, and uh, st- by stadium and up on 6th Avenue and any place, you know, where we could put them up, barbershops or, uh, you know, uh, they call them, uh, what, do, what do they call those, uh, ice cream Parlors, parlors, yeah, soda shops and stuff like that. So, uh, and 
what happened is is that uh, some of the halls that we played at, uh, if you, 50 people, if they only held 50 people, it started to grow and it'd be like 100 people <laughs> trying to cram. Fire in hazard. And then, yeah, and then we got closed down. And, and uh, then we got a call from the union saying that we couldn't play. And then we rented bigger halls. And then uh, um, and, and, um, Bill and I found this singer out at uh, Puyallup Fairgrounds. And uh, we were walking along the fairway out there. And uh, uh, we, heard, we saw this guy standing on his bench. And he um, it looked like he was giving a speech to the crowd. And uh, it was uh, this is when we finally got into stadium, and we were the Blue Notes by then, Little Bill and the Blue Notes. And we needed this. We were looking for uh, a singer, and we saw this guy uh, giving a speech. We thought he was anyway. Uh, and the closer we got to him, Bill walked kind of slow because he had his braces, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we're walking down there, and all these people were out there uh, standing in front of this bench, and this guy was standing on this bench, and. And we closer we got, we heard him singing a cappella to these this crowd, and uh, sounded real good. And uh, that's how we met Rock and Robin. And I wow. went up to him and I said, uh, "Hey, uh, want to sing in a rock and roll band?" And he goes, <laughs> "Yeah." He looked like he looked like a um, real um, bookworm, kind of like a Buddy Holly guy, yes. bookworm kind of guy, you mm -hmm. know, that you never. Never believed. So was he, he singing? Was, what was he singing at the time? Doo-wop to the crowd, no, or no? Uh, it was a little Richard song, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, people were going crazy, you know. I mean, they thought we'd they clap and everything, you know. And he didn't. He wasn't afraid of the audience, you know. But he was a real, real high tense kind of guy, and you know. And he'd always uh, be real, you know, uh, nervous. Nervous, yeah, kind of guy. And he was always, but one of the greatest guys you ever want to meet. And he's one of the greatest singers you ever want to meet too. He was. So good rock and robin roberts yeah rock and robin roberts and uh so anyway we had our little band together and then uh that, that stayed together for uh, about three four years and uh then uh i used to go out and uh, then another band came along and it was the whalers actually and it mm -hmm. was about 1958 59 and uh, uh i used to go out and see I, i'd go out and see him a couple times well actually we played together with them one time out at this place called uh angle lake i think was it angle lake yeah, and there was two bands there. It was a Little Bill and the Blue Notes and and uh, the Whalers. And the Whalers didn't have a bass player, so I met those guys and they and uh, they asked. And I went to a party at uh, one of the guys' houses one night, and they said, "Hey, why don't you come out and play bass with us? We don't have a bass player." So I used to go out and jam with them when when the Blue Notes weren't playing, or if we opened a show for. We used to play at the Tacoma Army by that time, and mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, you know, we'd like open a show for uh, 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 James Brown. Say he was wow. there, and, awesome. uh, and then we'd uh, take a break and go out to, uh, I, uh, you know, after we were done with our little bit in that show, I'd go out to uh, uh, see uh, the Whalers and mm -hmm. bring my bass, and I'd jam with them. So they, and they made a record at the same time that we did. Uh, our, our our record that we did was called "I Love an Angel." That was a song that Bill wrote. And, okay, and uh, we recorded that, and it came out on uh, Dalton Records. And uh, Dalton Records was a Seattle label, local regional label at that time. And then, uh, and then uh, we. Uh, 
Uh, so is that when the Whalers put out the Tall Cool one? Yeah, and the Whalers had Tall Cool one out. Okay. So they were kind of about the same time. And they both reached, uh, you know, uh, the Billboard charts at the time. So Now, know, how, did that, how did that work back then? You guys, uh, it was a regional label. You printed it. How did it get distributed? It's not like now where you can email tunes or you can, you have a, there's like a whole production team that's, pushing cds and and there's so much going on back then uh it was pretty brand new how did you get your records into the playlist and well so they forth? had to go through other distributors uh you know there was lots of independent distributors at the time and there was a lot of uh, independent uh they call them independent promotion guys mm -hmm. you know and right. so each one of these uh distributors would have an independent or kind of a little uh, you know, a group of, of guys that would go out different kinds of music because the distributors carried all kinds of music. So right. they go to all the different stations and they would have their, you know, uh, stack of records that they bring in and, you know, uh, <laughs> and this meet, back with in, the, meet with the DJs. Right. And, and you know, uh, <laughs> back in the day of payola. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. And, yeah. you know, a lot of independent labels at the time were picking up to distribute uh you know local hits sure and, yeah. and uh so anyway liberty records picked up a couple things of ours and uh you know uh the, the independent distributors were the main things at the time right. we don't do that anymore uh, i have a fleet of promotional men i mean promotion men they don't do that anymore i don't know how the hell they do it doesn't you know i mean it's it's uh not pale well i don't know i guess it's Pay to play, you know. Yeah, yeah. And well, back then it's illegal now, technically, but back then they could come into a radio station and offer the DJ all kind of stuff if they would put their seat, their record on. Yeah, yeah. And um, so anyway, they they had a hit, and uh, I used to go out and play with them, and and when they and then they went back to Dick Clark because they they were really getting some you know exciting things going, and and. Uh, they came back, and uh, one of the guys, uh, John Greek, uh, was a member of the band. He was one of the originators of the band, but uh, for some reason, I, I, you know, they uh, they um, decided that he wasn't going to be part of the band anymore, which was not my business. But, <laughs> right, so right. Anyway, I got a call, and they said, "Hey, you want to come and play with uh, with the Whalers?" And that was in 1960. Rock and Robin already went over and started. Uh, he was uh, singing with the Whalers. Uh, mm -hmm. He made a decision because. It was real hard to keep the, you know, at one time the Blue Notes had uh, three sax players and uh, Rock and Robin. I mean, it was like a real neat um, band, R&B band, you know, right. but rock too. You know, sure. And, and so anyway, what happened is, is that uh, Robin went over there and then I was, and I always loved Robin, a great singer, great, you know, person. And uh, so it was real cool to go over and play with the Whalers because I always liked their music anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was getting tired. I mean, it's already been five years, and you know, and I was basically the one who booked the band and 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 little Bill and um, and Bill already left. He went traveling around the country because he didn't want. At that time, uh, you know, he thought you know that well, he was going out as a single act, and then he was performing with other bands okay. out on the road because they couldn't afford to bring bands the, out. The whole band, yeah. and that. So, and that was cool. Sure. So anyway, I, I kind of enjoyed you know where I was being with the Whalers, and they just got back from Dick Clark. But the thing is, is that they were all 
15 and 16 years old at the time, you know, so. That's amazing. So yeah. now the label that uh, has been given that the genre of like the Ventures and the Whalers and uh, a lot of the bands that came around that time was this gr- Garage Rock, which yeah. is predates, of course, grunge and the uh, and the later Seattle sounds. <clears throat> Were they calling you that at the time or is that a is that a new talk that that's Wait, garage? garage Rock? Yeah, no, no, that's the only places that we had to practice you know <laughs> but i mean yeah. but as they were but as they talked about the you know this new movement were they calling it back then garage rock or no, is, no that's no. something that's been handed to you recently not to me i mean they just if whatever they wanted to make up they make up you right know, that's all right i mean garage music is uh kind of a world you know uh term now you oh know? yeah a lot, everybody right. starts in a yeah. garage Buck, I had a question for you. In the early days when you uh, were first signing deals and starting to make money as uh, either uh, uh, Little Bill and the Blue Notes or as you went into the Whalers, what uh, kind of deals were you guys getting? You weren't getting these deals you hear about uh, uh, from the performers in the early days of rock and roll where they were basically making you slaves and taking advantage of you and those type of deals, or did you get a good deal? No, they... You know, one, one thing is is that we kind of controlled our own thing when we were in a little building of Blue Notes because there was nobody else around. But we got scammed sometimes, you know, by people. I mean, that's just the business, you know. Right. And you got to kind of keep your eye open. But you learn the lessons, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Whalers did, too. You know, we got scammed a few times. But, uh, you know, we, we were... Uh, pretty popular band so it was kind of hard to scam us you know i mean they didn't want to do that you know so we got you know we did pretty good you know i mean you could live in those days on what you did as far as performing you know it's real hard for any band to do that today you know i mean up and coming bands but we kind of set precedent in a lot of different ways and djs are the ones that used us as far as uh uh, we would be the reason why they would be able to go out and get these other bands that they could scam that was the deal okay. so they go hey we got paul revere we got the whalers we got the sonics and all these other little bands felt that was the way to go which in some ways it usually was you know yeah but they'd get scammed mm. i mean i know i know they would so know. they'd show up for a show play and then yeah they'd say well you know uh, you aren't the whalers and you aren't the sonics and you aren't this so you know we'll hire you for this and then and if they were an upcoming band and they did have a following and all that i mean they still would uh not you know get the top end of the deal you know <laughs> right well i it's kind of a follow-up i thought i'd read someplace that um originally with the whalers when you got involved at the spanish castle and the teen dances and pat o'day came into the picture that originally pat o'day when he presented himself to you he said he was a dj um at a station but technically he wasn't really even a dj at a station yet Oh, I don't know. I don't remember that. I remember he came up and asked me if he could throw records off the stage, but that was <laughs> right. That was when uh, he. I think he was. He wasn't a DJ on a on a major station yet. That okay. was the deal. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, you know, um, I think he was at the um, in Tacoma here at one of the smaller learning kind of station yeah, whatever okay, you yeah. do you know right uh, technical college or technical something yeah something like that and uh you know i mean it, at that time too you got to remember there was only one tv program that was really pushing rock and roll and that was uh, dick clark you know and that was a big deal during the 50s you know mm-hmm. middle 50s and into the well you know 60s 70s 80s you know after that you know 
and uh, he kind of I think was looking towards that kind of a career, you know. And he was a good he would O'Day grew into being a pretty good uh, uh, you know ear for and 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 finding the talent. Right. You know, the DJ talent, because he, I mean, a lot of the, there, I remember uh, during the uh, uh, 70s and 80s when I used to go, you know, we'd travel around or I'd be in L.A. or I'd be doing some, some place, you know, that uh, where I'd always, you know, listen to uh, stations and uh, some of the people that were on uh, the KJR, like up here, KOL. I mean, they they were DJs that moved into these big stations, like in L.A. and Chicago, and and uh, I mean, they were from here, from, from right. here, yeah, right. like breeding uh, ground. Larry Lujak, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think some of the others in those days that yeah. uh, moved on and were big. Yeah, they're very big, and they became very popular. But I mean, that was part of the, you know, and even some of the uh, record labels, independent record labels like uh, A and M Records, and and uh, uh, there was a. Uh, with some of the other labels down there. MGM used to be a rock label there for a while. Mm -hmm. Right. And some of the other independents, there were people from here that were the heads of those labels. I mean, uh, it was crazy, you know. Wow. Uh, I can't remember the the actual names of some of the labels, but I know that a lot of people from here. uh, The Northwest has produced a lot of talented people. I mean, still do. Yes. And uh, That's why we're here. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in all aspects of you know create creativity you know and being able to deliver you know uh, either the music or you know the right or the goods you know like if they're if they're a dj or somebody that was into the industry you know i mean they usually did a pretty good job you know so about yeah, uh, go i was going to ask you as a kid from tacoma and going to stadium high school and then you're you're playing in these bands and and then all of a sudden it takes off for you guys and you're traveling around and and it's taking you all over the world was there ever a moment where you're standing on stage and you just thought i can't believe i'm here uh in any like any like if you guys were in japan or uh, traveling around the country was there ever a moment like a moment where you just said i this is amazing uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Like were you like did uh you know try to pinch I don't yourself? Know. We or? we played with uh, all kinds of bands. I mean yeah when the, uh, we were playing with uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service opened for us at the you know at the um, it was at Fillmore you know mm. and and uh, we played the Cow Palace used to be the big uh, place down there and we opened up for James Brown on that show and uh, we played with uh, the Doors before and smaller before they even made it we played with uh, Journey Journey opened for us in San Francisco <laughs> we played with uh, and uh, not Journey let me see uh, it was uh, um, you know. Um, White Rabbit. What am I talking oh, about? Jefferson, oh, Jefferson, uh, Jefferson Airplane. Airplane. Yeah, Jefferson Airplane opened for us, you know. And, wow. Uh, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah. you. Is it go. true that Jimi Hendrix used to hang out at the Spanish Castle and want to jam with you guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know him. Rich knew him, our guitar player, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd come up to Rich and he'd go, hey, if your amp goes out or something, he said, I got mine in the car and I'd like to. <laughs> in fact, the first song he ever learned on guitar was still cool one. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I know he gave lots of props to uh, the Northwest, yeah. his, the Northwest influences. Well, who influenced, who were you listening to? Who influenced you, uh, to, well, to, first of all, to go into music and also your style or the, the, the things that, the type of music that you liked during that time, during your influential time? Well, 
Bill in the 50s uh, was uh, he, he had a lot of black artists who were friends and they liked they really liked Bill because he'd go down and he'd jam with him in some of these old bars in Tacoma mm -hmm. and he got to know those people and where they were listening to their music there was one guy named Bob Summarize who had a radio show up in top of um, uh, this uh, drive-in uh, called King's Drive-In it was up on 6th Avenue and he had a radio show and he played all this R&B music and you know it was like the old days where you drive your cool car in there and you get a burger and and you'd listen to that station that was the closer you got you know then you could right. pick him up you know <laughs> just a small station but anyway uh bill uh he, he's the only guy that had a car because he was 16 years old so he got a car and he could drive and it was kind of cool how he drove because he still had those braces on but he could do it and you know uh, I'd uh, risk my life and get in there with him and, <laughs> and uh, you know he was cool but you know he said we're going to go out and hear this band and it was called the Evergreen Ballroom and it was out in south uh, south uh, of Tacoma at, at, in uh, what do they call that place? What do they call that? Parkland Squally. Oh, the Squally. Oh, okay. yeah. mm -hmm. And it was called the Evergreen Ballroom. And uh, we went out there one night, and I think the first act that we saw was Ray Charles, or no, it was Bobby Blueland and Little Junior Parker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I you know, and that was in fifties. Uh, no rock and roll band. Nobody else. We were the only white guys in this whole place. <laughs> Right. And I mean, you know, first of all, I was scared, but everybody knew Bill, and mm -hmm. we'd walk up and I don't know if you've ever been to this place, but there was a uh, not a very high stage, you know, but it was about two or three feet off the ground, and it had this bar uh, pipe kind of a uh, railing type railing kind of thing on it, and we Bill and I would go in there. It cost five bucks, I think it cost five. And we pay our five dollars at the door, and we go in. And the first thing we do is grab onto that bar right there, and wouldn't let go. <laughs> and uh, we'd stand right there on the stage all night. And uh, we got to see uh, Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, and Little Junior Parker, of course, and uh, and uh, Bobby Blue Bland, BB King, <laughs> Ray Charles, uh, Ike and Tina Turner, uh, and it was uh, close as this mic right here. Mm -hmm. And that's how close they were. You wow. Know, I could reach out and grab uh, that far. All I have to do is reach my arm out. I could grab Ray Charles' l pant leg if he was playing <laughs> his Wurlitzer piano mm -hmm. and playing what I say, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and the first time that Tina Turner came through, she came through with, uh, you know, Ike Turner and the band. And they were called the Icats at the time, you know, with his little backup group there. And so we got to see that, and that was what inspired me a lot. And then I, when I saw Little Richard for about four or five times, um, their bass player was, they called him Professor. And uh, he was a tall guy, and he had a he had the first electric bass that I saw, you know, and, and he had this little amp. It was an Ampeg B-15, and I remember that. So I went and got the exact same thing. I traded that steel guitar in. And I went and got the same setup, and that's how I. And he played with a thumb pick. Not not very many bass players play with a thumb pick. No. And I and I do that. And Andy Prepa from the Sonics did the same thing. He plays with a thumb pick, and uh, and you kind of get a little different tone. You get more of a bite out of it. And um, so anyway, that's that's kind of what inspired me. 
And uh, one time, uh, this is just another little story, i just tell you this, that when we saw Little Richard, he's, this is when the whalers started to come out there too in the late, in 58, 59. They started, they heard about this and we were already out. I think it was 59 they started to come out, maybe 60, something like that. And uh, they started to come out there and Rich Dandrell and Mike Burke, who was members of the whalers. and. I remember this uh, sax players, the three sax players that they had, really cool sax players, and they'd all move in these, these they call them, we'd call them steps, you know, and they all kind of did this little act that they did and twirl their horns up in the air and all that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and um, so anyway, uh, this sax, one sax player bent down and he was, with, you know, us white boys in this place, you know, he says, <laughs> he says you guys, play this he said you know this kind of music and i said yeah and he goes uh you want to see what you want to come up on stage and see what you can do this is no kidding i mean me and rich and mike burke went up there and then this they didn't little richard wasn't on the stage then because he was kind of like you know but they had this other guy that was playing piano they played with him Mm mm-hmm and he started just banging away, and then we kind of kicked in there. And the sax players walked all walked off the stage when we got up there because <laughs> it was like, yeah, let's see what you can do. Right, yeah. <laughs> Test your metal. How'd yeah. you do? We did great. They walked back up on the, <laughs> walked back up on the stage, and he started playing with us. Uh-huh. I mean, I remember looking down on the side of the stage there. They were standing there saying, let's see what these white boys can do, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, he kind of smiled, and he said, what the hell, let's go back up there and play with these guys. Wow. And they did. So All right, was, all right. So that was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, and those are great experiences, you know. And so that's when you say what, what inspired me, that whole, that whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the same way that, uh, you know, that the Stones kind of, saw our, our blues here you know yes. kind of looked at it that way and Zeppelin they would listen to guys. they would listen to Northwest music there's no kidding all these mm-hmm. guys you know uh, Harrison and uh, uh, Ringo they listened to Northwest music and I mean I always Clapton. heard this and uh, yeah Clapton too yep. and uh, they picked up on a lot of stuff out of here because uh, we were always told and I remember this DJ that we used to play for who was a promoter down in Oregon He'd record us when we were playing, and he'd take it over to England with him. And he used to tell us about these groups that uh, were kind of little garage groups like mm-hmm. here. And he'd say, you know, they were called, uh, you know, um, what the heck, what was the name of some of those early English groups? I can't remember Herman's right Hermits? <laughs> no, long before that. Oh, before those guys. Yeah, you know, and... Uh, uh, where you know guys like Clapton were playing in them, but right, uh, right. Know. Oh, okay, yeah. The Yardbirds, Yardbirds was one of them. Okay. Yeah, and he'd say there was a group over there. Yeah, they played him your music, and then we used to hear about these uh, merchant marines who would take our music over there. And uh, I remember this friend of mine saying when he went back to college back in Boston, he said he walked into this one dorm and he said uh, there was Northwest music all over the floor. You know. And that was in, uh, I guess that was about 61 or 2 or something like that. You know? Weren't, weren't the uh, Who and Keith Moon big fans yeah, of the they Whalers? Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever get to meet any of these guys, get thanks from them? Well, we, um, not really, but we've always heard that. Now, we read, you know, little uh, quotes from them right. and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, when, when the Beatles came here, they wanted to meet us. I mean, they, you know, but Pat O'Day... 
Well, I mean, when they first came here, they had to stay in this hotel up there, you know, the um, the one that goes Edgewater. Edgewater, yeah, Edgewater right. and they wouldn't let them out of there because, you know, there was <laughs> all these crazy. people. And they wanted to meet us, so uh, they wow. didn't. We didn't. And Ringo and uh, uh, George Harrison were, were the fans. I mean, they, they were the ones that wanted to meet us. You know, I don't know. Maybe Paul did, too. But That's know, impressive. You know, but so did, uh, um, you know, what's the name, Pete Townsend. And... Mm-hmm. and um, you know, several of those English groups, and and uh, we never got to meet some of them. You know, so so does, does that ever uh, is that ever a wow factor for you? You think think about uh, the way those the way you came in shaped music, and then passed that baton off, and then they certainly shaped music in the '60s and '70s, and a lot of that started right here. Is that ever uh, is that ever a big big moment thought for you, or it's just you just see? Oh, I remember one time. Kent and I were driving in a car, and it was about, I don't know, 63, 64, something like that. And that's when the English stuff started to come in. And and I remember this vividly. We were driving around in Point Defiance for some reason. I don't know what the hell we were doing. But, <laughs> but uh, the radio was on, of course, and I went, and we heard this song, and I can't even remember what it was. And I go, and it, but the DJ after it was over said, that's so-and-so from, you know, England or something. Right. And, and I said, you know, but before he did that, I said, God, Kent, they're playing, they're, they're putting our music. Oh, no, it was right after the guy announced that. And I said, God, they're playing our, they're stealing our riffs. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it really was, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was something that was, you know, because the thing is, is that because of the late or because of the 50s and because of the early 60s, there was nobody else to copy i mean we had to make it up you know so i mean it was basically you just created your own riffs you created your own songs you know like the first uh whalers album was all instrumental but it was basically riffs yeah and so was the most of the bands that you go see the ones that all the r&b bands were riff bands you know i mean like little richard do do you know all that kind of stuff you know right and uh, yes, and you know when we used to play that music, we wouldn't play it exactly like them. I mean, we could have copied them. I mean, we could play, a, you know, like we saw Ray Charles with his seventeen-piece group, and then we saw him with just his little, you know, group, and and we could take. I mean, I I I just you know felt real good about the fact that we could play whatever we wanted to play. Even I mean, five guys in a band, we could play Ray Charles twelve. You know, a 17-piece band music, we could do it, you know, and make it sound like our own. And that was the idea. You never wanted to play any songs that, or we never were a cover band. We always took it and said, we'll do it this way, you know, and so you always make it yours, you know. Yeah. And if you can't do it as good at or better, then forget it, don't do it. And that's kind of the attitude that we had, you know. And uh, good as meaning that somebody's going to pick it up, but people used to think, when we did, uh, you know, those kind of songs that they were our songs, and they come up and say, "Wow, did you guys write that?" No. <laughs> <laughs> Buck, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about playing at probably one of the most uh, legendary venues in the Northwest, the Spanish Castle, the Fabulous Whalers uh, at the Spanish Castle, and that gives a little bit of the feel. Uh, of a show there and you guys playing there, which I guess technically sometimes they called you the house band at the Spanish Castle? Well, we kind of started that because we started teen dances uh, and we started them at the, uh, well, Little Bill actually did and we did them at the uh, Crescent Ballroom in Tacoma and, uh, you know, where it started off to be 
couple hundred people turning into a thousand people and then we did the armory which you could get a 1500 to 2000 kids in there but i mean that was when you know they everything was sock hops at schools and the kids were getting tired of that you know and the hot rods were coming in and all the cool cars and all that and driving restaurants and so the teen dances kind of helped uh, nurture that whole uh, that time period you know and uh, so um what the hell was the question? Oh well, <laughs> what I was getting at is it's it's such a legendary place, and oh, the, yeah. and okay. the photos I've seen of it, it looked like it was just a really cool place. Yeah. What, what what was the energy like when you guys were playing there? What was the sound? What was the the crowd? What was it like to play a show there? Oh, you know, uh, it's kind of amazing because we all had little amps. And we only had like our, our our sound system. We had to bring it in ourselves. Our sound system con- consisted of two mics and a Bogan amp and two uh, University Horn 15-inch speakers, and he would fill the place. Wow, fill it. That's all. You didn't have any monitoring system. You didn't have some guy out there at a desk, you know, trying to get your sound and all that kind of stuff. What it was was your sound. So acoustically, it and was it great. Was, yeah, it was great. It was absolutely great. You'd play to the hall. You wouldn't play to the, you know, the sound system or the monitors or anything like that. We didn't have monitors. We didn't, you know, didn't need them. It just worked, and every place that we played, same deal. I remember one time we are one of our horns. We were loading our little van. With, we used to uh, uh, we'd buy these uh, Ford vans. First ones when they first came out with the Ford van, we go, hey, rather than haul them on the top of our car instruments <laughs> and in the trunk, let's get one of those. <laughs> Pretty soon, every band you know that came along afterwards would go get a van, you know. Uh, so anyway, we. Um, well, we're loading our van out in front of the castle there, and and they were all dance halls, you know. I mean, this was a true dance hall. This was like in the four, 30s and 40s. That was a big deal, you know. You'd go in yeah. there and you bring your bottle, and they'd give, you know, you could get ice and and mixer, and right. that's what they did. And and during the war, you know, that was a big deal out there, you know. And and they turned a lot of them into these USO kind of things, dance places and all that. So all the dance halls were basically uh, real dance halls. And the yeah. floor out at the Spanish castle was a spring floor, so when you danced on it, it would kind of nice. move. It had give to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Buck, uh, we certainly appreciate the fact that you've come in. I want to remind everybody that the Fabulous Whalers actually have a new CD out. It's called Rooster Rock, and you can go to their website, www.thefabulouswhalers.com, and pick that up. We will also have a link on our website to it. And uh, before we let you get out of here, because we want to take up all your time of the day but uh, we have what we call the big 10 and it's just 10 quick questions that uh just quick answers on these just to get you to know you a little better first of all what's your favorite food uh italian there you go <laughs> and what was the first car you ever bought uh what was it oh it was a 55 chef yes nice <laughs> yes <laughs> right and do you have a favorite team Sports team? You into sports much? No, I don't, I'm not really into sports. I used to watch college football, and that was about it. Who would be Huskies then? Uh, no, it was whoever was playing. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, Rich and I, Rich and I had used to live together, and he he was into football. And I mean, right. on Saturday afternoon, that's what we do. We sit around, drink beer, and watch the game. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. No, not at all. <laughs> and uh, outside of music, or maybe it was your what was your first paying job? Your first paying job as a as a teenager. Oh boy! 
Uh, I was a box boy in a grocery store. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he's a good start. And do you remember the first album or first 45 you ever bought? Uh, let's see here. It's probably a Little Richard, uh, you know, record, 45. And for you, I don't know if you have time for this, but if you watch TV, is there a can't-miss TV show for you right now, something no. you have to watch? No. No. <laughs> okay. What would be uh, the last concert you attended outside of one of your own? Last concert. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, I went to see uh, Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> I don't know why. No, I know. I don't know. I went. Uh, I think I got a ticket for it. Yeah, uh, very good. Nothing no, I like. I, I like. I like him. And Eddie Vedder. Uh, you know, he's a real uh, Sonic fan too. You know. And, oh yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I, I liked him. I, I thought they were real cool. Yeah, very know? good. Uh, for you right now, uh, what would be the last movie you saw? Do you go to movies at all? Uh, last movie I saw was. Um, God, I just saw it too. Uh, was it the? Um, I like the I, I like um, um, independent films. Okay, but it was an independent film. I can't think of the name. Was of it, right it the True Heart or the the one about the country singer with? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's with a good the, uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges yeah. yeah, what's the name of that? <laughs> what is uh, it? Uh, isn't it called True Heart? Or I'll have to look it up. But yeah, I, I saw I it too, a, and I can't remember. Yeah, it's, it's not Braveheart. To be really? Yeah, no, no, that's Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's no, a. I've heard it's great. Yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, yeah about I mean, the broken just, down country He's so singer. good. He's, I, he's just a casual guy, and it's just a regular like life. And I you think know, got, I, mean, I think he got nominated for an Oscar for best actor for you it. You should get year. it. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think he did. Yeah, he's, he's uh, cool. If you're out working uh, around the house or uh, maybe it's your guitar, what's your favorite tool? Tool to work with? Uh, if I'm working around the house with my favorite tool, uh, I have a little garden. Sometimes I work with those kind of tools, you know, garden tools. All right. But I haven't done it for a while here. I mean, you know, because the weather, winter yeah, winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, your favorite drink? What's the f somebody's buying a drink for you? What are you having? Uh, an old duels. I don't drink anymore, so I mean, that's, I can do about one of those, and that's about it. <laughs> That'll yeah. work. And last of the Big Ten, uh, I know you've been around the Northwest for a long time, but can you name your favorite place in the Northwest? Uh, let's see, your favorite place in the Northwest. Uh, I, you know, I just kind of like to drive. I've always uh, liked to just kind of go and. Uh, um, you know, if I'm out driving around, I, I'll, I'll uh, I like spontaneity, mm -hmm. you know, so I might go up to the, uh, you know, uh, to the peninsula or something, and, and I like just driving. If I see a road and I go, I wonder what's down there, and I'll go just, you know, I like I like to investigate and just, you know, <laughs> That's great. see what's going on. That's you know? right. The, low, the road less traveled. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Well, our guest today has been uh, Mr. Buck Ormsby. He's the bass player for the Fabulous Whalers. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Kent Morrell. Our thoughts and prayers. Go Have you heard anything uh, recently about Kent? And I know he's got cancer and he's, he hasn't been doing too well. Well, uh, you know, he's on the mend and he's always on the mend here, Good. you know, but I'm telling him, you know, 
you know, I keep, I, when I talk to him, you know, he's up in the University of Washington Hospital right mm -hmm. now, and he, he's, uh, he's got, uh, he has some complications, so he's kind of coming out of that right now. I just saw his wife here not too long ago, and she's, uh, she's uh, up about it, you know, that he's, mm -hmm. uh, he's on the mend. Uh, he had a little couple setbacks, but, uh, you know, if anybody out there, uh, you know, wants to send him something, a card or something, you know, like that, he's up at the University of Washington Hospital, but he's in a, uh, what do they call that when you can't, you know, you have to wear the gowns and all that kind of isolation kind the, of thing. ICU you know, or whatever. ICU or yeah, I mean, I see, you know, so you, you keep away from germs and stuff like right. that. You know, oh right, yeah, like he's that kind of isolated thing. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, that's where he is right now. Well, our, our prayers and our thoughts go with him. Yeah, can, I, can I get one last question in for you, Buck? That uh, I really wanted to ask you. Ventures went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008. Is there any movement? Um, from your fans or on your site to get you guys into well, the Rock the and Roll Hall is, of Fame? the thing is, is that, uh, you know, the... Um uh, there, there's been people that have talked about that, but uh, you know, I manage the Sonics too. You know, and I, I work with those guys, and, uh, and uh, there's been talk about though they uh, being nominated, you know, for that. And I think there's going to be a big push going on for that because they have uh, really uh, done a whole lot of ins um, inspirational music, you know. That sure. I mean, we travel to Europe now, and and uh, uh, you know, we meet all these musicians. And contemporary musicians, and I mean, I'm talking about old people. I mean, you know, older bands. Right, right. That they've inspired and and influenced a lot of bands, and there's tons of bands who have covered them. So that's kind of the idea. If, uh, is that if they if they're in and they get nominated, that just opens the door. And like we were saying earlier, you know, there's a lot of talented people here. I always thought the Whalers should be, even if I'm there or not, it doesn't matter, you know. Yes, but I yes. always thought the Whalers because they kind of set they kind of set a lot of precedents. Yes. And when we started our label, let it records you know and we found the sonics and we recorded the sonics we released the sonics and did all that i mean it was basically because it was a real high energy going in in the 60s at that time you know and and our our label was sort of like the beginnings of what would happen later like sub pops and stuff like that you know and all these other cz records and other you know labels that came along afterwards because it, we kind of helped set that stage you know and 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 that's what follows. Open you the know. doors. Yeah, open yeah the doors. absolutely. So if the Ventures can do that, the Sonics can do that, then if the Sonics do it, I, Whalers should be in there too. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you got our vote for sure. That's right. So anyway, Buck, thank you so much for coming in. It's been an honor and an absolute pleasure. And I hope Kent gets better and you guys get together again. Maybe we'll have a Louie Louie Fest, too. Or a oh, play. yeah, yeah. And they're going to uh, – Gail Harris was uh, one of our singers yes. in, in the Whalers. And I think uh, that we're going to try to do an album as soon as Kent's well with him and Gail Harris doing a, an album together. Oh, that would be great. great. That yeah. lady is Janis Joplin before Janis Joplin. Well, she's Ike and Tina before uh, Ike and yes. Tina, yeah. Before yeah. Tina. Oh. Oh, At man. 13 years old. You know, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, and if anybody has out there hasn't heard parts. some of the early stuff of the Fabulous Whalers where Gail Harris is singing, uh, you've got to hear that. That is some just dynamite, phenomenal stuff. I know we all heard about Buddy Holly, and we all heard about you know a lot of the bands around that time, but let me tell you, the Fabulous Whalers set the bar. Right. And really found some local talent. Buck, thank you so much for right. being here. Yeah, thank we're you. honored. Thank you. All right. Man, I tell you, Buck Ornsby, what a great interview. That yeah, that was spectacular. Rock and roll legend. We want to thank him so much for coming in here. That was, uh, well, I mean, not to be Garth and Wayne, but 
We're not worthy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, but remember, now they have a, a great CD along with Adventures, and it's two, called Two Car Garage. Yeah. And if you go to twocargarage.com, they have a great video of a lot of those musicians he was talking about paying homage to the Ventures and the Whalers, and it's a great CD. We and have, that garage is still here. That garage is still up, yeah. So we're going to go out and pay, uh, do a little uh, pilgrimage to that garage. So, well, because Buck, you know, he, he was such a fascinating interview, we went long with him. So we had, we had another guest scheduled for today, but we're actually going to move them to another uh, show, and they're cool with that, and it was really nice. And we'll, we'll introduce them later, but uh, Buck Ornsby of the Fabulous Whalers, thank you so much for coming in. All right, well, hey, it's time for This Week in Rock. Now, here's a doctor of rock himself, Big Joe, with This Week in Music History. Talk about a bass line. Yay. <laughs> I think Buck could appreciate this. I believe so. Well, he talked all about riffing. Yeah, this and is this some, is a definite bass riff. This is some good riffing. Well, on this day, February 28th in 1984, Michael Jackson's Thriller, of course, won a record seven Grammys. Wow. Okay, get this. It was Album of the Year. Yes. Best rock vocal performance for Beat It. <laughs> Best pop vocal performance. Best R&B performance. And best R&B song for Billie Jean, this song right here. And to top it off, best recording for children, Jesus Juice. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not right. That's incorrect. It was for E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, man. So uh, another record-setting performance by MJ. And, and talk about spanning. Uh, there's rock, soul, pop, R&B, across all lines. Yeah, seven Grammys. Unbelievable. Yeah, that and, is, uh, uh, will that ever be matched? I don't think I, so. I don't know. But anyhow, Michael, rest in peace. And that is this day, this week's in music history. Yeah, well, thanks, Big Joe. Well, it's been a great show, and it's about time for us to get on out of here. We want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. This is, uh, we're the Northwest Convergence Zone show. We have a new show every week. I know we have a lot of listeners who uh, are brand new to the show and we post a new show every Sunday night and we have some great guests coming up in the future and Don Wilson from The Ventures is going to be on. Wow. Next week Dudley Taft's going to be here who used to be in Sweetwater and now he's got a, just a rock and blues band. Chip Hanauer is scheduled to be here and all through the month we got a lot of big people and we're also in touch with uh, some local disc jockeys like Gary Crow and uh, Steve Slayton and stuff and we're hoping to get those guys in here too. So anyway, thank you so much for listening and this is Big D. This is Big Joe saying have a good evening. This is Double D. And let's leave with some fabulous whalers. This is one of their first hits. Tall Cool One. This is the Northwest Convergence Zone where all things come together.
This has been a production of the Northwest Convergence Zone. Email us at nwconvergencezone at gmail.com.